Daddy's home. That's something I try to say five days a week when I come home from work. Uh, we have a little litany I go through. I call Anne. I'm just five minutes away, and I say, what am I coming home to? <laughs> and she prepares me, and then I drive home, and right when I stop and outside the car, and before I get out, I put my hand on the doorknob, and I think, okay, is this going to be good news or bad news to my family? Am I going to be a peacemaker or a peace taker when I say, Daddy's home? It's my goal that my daughters would have a surge of emotional energy at the sound of my voice. Because I know outside our home, there's anything but peace, even in their world. On high school campuses today, not a lot of peace. In our city today, not a lot of peace. In our world today, not a lot of peace. In comments, in social media, not a lot of peace. Driving around this peninsula, not a lot of peace. Our church parking lot, watch this. Jesus, I am late for church. I'm just going to speak this parking spot into existence right now. Just name it and claim it, Jesus. Oh, for heaven's sakes, use the crosswalk. I, okay, I have the fruit of the spirit, but y'all need to move. Ooh, she is going to wear that into... Bounce your eyes. Bounce your eyes. Jesus, give me a miracle. I need a ram in the thicket. I love this church. It's just like, come as you are. You know what I'm saying? How do I load though? Does this jacket go with this shirt? Oh, good Lord. Guests, single parents expected mother who doesn't have a parking spot these days i have been here 27 years i deserve respect oh yeah go ahead take my parking spot she listen she probably needs jesus more than me honestly use your mirror how long does it take to back out of a jesus give me strength this is so str honestly there better be coffee there better be coffee Y'all are gonna make me park in a handicap spot. Oh look, there go the homeschoolers. I swear if somebody took the last jelly donut, I will. Don't make me get out of the- oh, move Hey, are you on the ministry team? Not today, okay? Oh, you're gonna drive a Lexus? Okay, I know where your treasure's at. Not in heaven. The sermon series is what? Putting others in front of yourself. Oh, this doesn't apply to me. Well, I would just tell you, I believe God has something better for humanity. And God certainly has something better for us uh, who bear his image. Look at our verse this uh, week in our series, Bless This Home. Look at this. Blessed are the, what, church? Peacemakers, right? For they will be called children of God. Let's just unpack that word together, peacemakers. It's only used twice in scripture. Jesus talked about peace a lot, but he only used this word uh, once, and then it's used, if you're taking notes, it's not in your notes, in the book of Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, peacemakers. Uh, it doesn't mean the absence of conflict. Uh, let's just divide it. Peace is seeking the highest good. Seeking the highest good for somebody. When he talks about being a peacemaker, it's not peace as opposed to anxiety. He talked about that, and that's in a different place in the upper room discourse. It's peace in the absence of hostility. Peace as opposed to enmity. Blessed are the peacemakers. Then that word make is really important. Uh, it's very important. In, that, in other words, Jesus is saying key to this is taking the initiative. He doesn't say blessed are the peace wishers. Who doesn't wish for peace? Blessed are the peace prayers. That's good, but that's not what he's talking about. 
Those aren't the children of God. Blessed are the peace hopers. In other words, you can't be a peacemaker and stay passive. Peacemakers initiate. Peacemakers exert. It, to put it together, describes someone who actively pursues the highest good for another person. That's the peacemaker. Vertically, that's where Colossians 1.20 uses it, reconciling someone to God. Horizontally, making sure there's reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, this is shocking and countercultural in Jesus' day where the religious thought that his listeners would have heard on that knoll on the Galilee was this. You get an eye for an eye. You get a tooth for a tooth. Someone transgresses, you have the religious right to transgress with the same force to the same extent and take from them what they took for you. That was the religious thought of the day. Jesus said, it's going to be different in my kingdom. And friends, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not hard. This is impossible. Blessed are the peacemakers. Our big idea, you can see in the bottom of page one, we're threading through the whole series, is this. We're not just a Christian home. Uh, there's 80% of this peninsula identifies as a Christian home. We're a Christ-centered home. Our lives, our home, are endeavoring to be centered on Christ. Here's the verse around this that we're going to give you for today. And our hope is that you would take these notes and if you pray before meals uh, with roommates or with your kids or by yourself, that you would recite this verse, the home version. Here's the verse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. As far as it's possible, I'm sorry, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, that will come in handy at the end of the message when we talk about the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is one way. Reconciliation entails two people. Live at peace with who, church? I'm sorry? Yeah. No caveats. No yeah buts. No, of all, oh, if you knew my story, I don't have to live at peace with them. No, no, no. Here's the home version that we want you to recite uh, whenever and however you can. Do not repay anyone inside or outside your home evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. If it's possible, as far as it depends on your home, live at peace with everyone. Remember, we talked about last week our church, our philosophy of ministry. We are not a fortress sequestered from the big bad world. We're a force for good in the world. The same is true in your home. There should be some haven and other, but God has you there. Acts 17 says he's determined the times and the places where we all live. You're not there by accident. You didn't choose that house. God sovereignly chose that house for you or that apartment for you. You're not there on accident. And so we're going to be a force for good. We're going to live at peace with everyone in our neighborhood, with everyone in our work group, with everyone on our floor at our place of employment. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You may push back and go, you don't know who I live with. They're right here. I've already seen all day. I've seen elbows flying. I can see, right? I have a right to be angry. I have a right to be offended. I have a right to be heard. I just want to say this. You're right. You're right. But here's what I've learned. When you hold on to your rights first, you put peacemaking last. 
when, as long as you cling to your rights, you will never live into the blessing of this verse. You're right, you have a right. But God calls us all to relinquish our rights. I know in my case, when I hold this doorknob and think, what is going to be the emotional response? Am I going to be a peacemaker or a peacetaker? I think, you know, as if my doorway is this. Remember how they have the metal, you know, the metal detectors before stadiums we enter in? My doorway becomes a rights detector. It's the only way my marriage can thrive. Or being a parent, I can thrive. I relinquish my rights. Because I want to put peacemaking first. So if we're going to be a blessed home, we're going to be peacemakers. And by the way, we follow a Savior. We follow a Lord. How many of his rights, according to Philippians 2, did Jesus let go of when he came to earth? Anybody? All of them. Yeah, all of them. He's our model, okay? And he can make us do it. Not belittling your rights at all. I know some of your stories. It's... But you're never going to enter in peacemaking, holding on to our rights. What do we do? Open your notes. Oops, open your notes. I'll get that. Thanks, bro. And let's see what we do. Here's the first thing. How do we become a peacemaker? First, peacemakers submit to one another. Peacemakers submit to one another. The Apostle Paul is giving a, um, a teaching on how households should function. He'll talk about husbands and wives. He'll talk about children and parents. He'll even talk about how we relate in the business world or in our place of commerce. But he says, let me give you an overarching theme right here, Ephesians 5.21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So interesting. That Greek word that Paul uses there, submit, was a military term, which means this. Someone of higher rank underranking themselves under someone of lower rank, militarily speaking. He's saying literally, underrank yourself to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the reality. You'll never be a peacemaker unless you submit and have a mindset of submission. And here's the deal. Weak people can't submit. Weak people pull rank. Um, I, I, in our home, we have uh, five years ago had a situation where uh, I came home, daddy's home, and we, uh, we have a whole litany of stuff we go through. And, and we get to the dinner table, and I would put my phone on buzz. Turn off the ringer, but put it on buzz. And throughout, the fo- throughout dinner, it and it'd be, I'd be like drooling, you know, and just going, ah. And sometimes I'd check my phone, and finally, oh, gosh. Finally, my uh, 14-year-old daughter at the time called me out. Said, hey, Dad, how come it's okay for you to have your phone at the table and we can't have ours? Now, I could have pulled rank at that point. I am the general of the family, right? Uh, I'm married to the joint chiefs of staff. <laughs> but the Bible says, underrank yourself. So we talked about it, and humility won. Thank God, I'm not always that way. And so now you know what we do? We have this dresser uh, right here. So I say, Daddy's home. I open the drawer, and we call, surrender your weapons. And it goes right in the dresser. We've been doing this for about four years. I never knew how much this meant to my wife because she never told me till last year we had a marriage conference. We had one here called Refreshing Your Marriage, and there was a panel, and someone asked the panel, what have you done that's meant the most to your spouse? You know what my wife pointed to? Surrendering your weapons. She says, you have no idea how much that makes me feel, how good that makes me feel, that for that time at the dinner table and afterwards, 
his family, his wife, we have all of him. That never would have come if I didn't submit to my 14-year-old calling me out. The first aspect of peacekeeping and peace, I'm sorry, peacemaking, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And by the way, we're not talking about peacekeeping. Uh, Peacekeeping is when you avoid conflict at all costs to pacify things. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. Nor are we talking about peacetaking. That's where you escalate conflict or simmer and you come into a room and anything but peace comes with you. You guys know people like that, right? That's peacetaking. We're talking about peacemaking. Here's the second thing we do. Peacemakers speak the truth in love. They speak the truth in love. Back to that book in Ephesians. Let me ask a question. Straw poll. We'll take a few of them today. Um, How many of you want to grow in Christ? In other words, you want to be just like Jesus, right? Okay. Okay. Me too. Me too. Here's how we do it. You ready? Instead, speaking the truth in love, very important, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. That flips the Western church on its end. You know what that means? That means, Jeff Smith, I need you to be a truth teller in my life, because we're in community, if I want to be everything Christ wants me to be. That means you, I need my 14-year-old, my closest neighbor. I need my wife to be a truth teller in love, If I want to be everything God designed me to be in Christ, I'm going to say if you don't allow truth tellers in your life, in love, you'll never be the mature Christ-following person God wants you to be. Never. This isn't a solo race. It's a communal race. We need each other in this. Do you have truth tellers in your life? Do you give weight to their voice? Because we're a Christ-centered home, we'll speak the truth in love. Now, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say yell the truth in love. It doesn't say speak the truth under your breath. That's actually cowardly. It doesn't say speak the truth behind their back. That's called gossip. It doesn't say rant the truth publicly on social media anonymously, but you know who you're talking about, and you know they're going to read that. We speak the truth in love. Ann and I uh, learned in counseling uh, a tool that helped us with this, and I'd never heard this before. Uh, We spent time in counseling, working through conflict. Um, This counselor told us that there's a capital T truth, that's God's truth. God in conflict knows all the circumstances, all the contingencies, knows everything, motives, everything that went into whatever is conflicting and keeping you apart. Then there's a small T truth, and that's your limited perspective as a human being. So in conflict, when you come and say, the truth is, the truth is, the truth is, you've got to keep humble and go, wait, wait, that's my truth. That's my limited perspective. Uh, uh, Tabitha actually found an illustration of this. I think it's really good. Uh, In conflict, looking at uh, a situation through the eyes of different perspectives, if you're standing with a light at your back looking at the uh, yellow star, you're going to see a reflection of a yellow star on the wall with the light behind you. If you're standing from the vantage point of the blue star looking sideways, you're going to see a blue square. Whose truth is right? They both are from their perspective. 
And so we were learned in conflict when it comes to speaking the truth in love. You enter in, and, and we practice this, where you say, hey, can you be a grace giver right now? And that's the, the trigger to the other person when Anna asked me to be a grace giver. Suspend all judgment. Suspend all yeah, but. Suspend my counter argument. I am just going to receive your truth right now. Knowing that it's small t truth, I'm going to receive what you have to say. And so she says, uh, from my perspective, this is what took place. And when this happens, this is how it makes me feel. And my job is to reflect back to her what I've heard. Not counter. My job is to make sure she feels heard. Her job as a small t truth teller is to express herself. And then we let God work out the capital T and bring it to bear. An amazing, amazing thing. Speaking the truth in love. Then, thirdly, peacemakers apologize when they're wrong. They apologize when they're wrong. These next two are going to get really close to some wounds. And so hang on, everybody. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You know what peacemakers are? Remember, they take the initiative. They're not passive. They're quick to apologize when their sin is pointed out, when they're wrong. On Tuesday, I was on the receiving end of needing to confess my sin to somebody. One of our pastors, we met on Monday, and my uh, loose lips had hurt this pastor. So on Tuesday morning, I was dropping off my daughter at Clifford, and I was looking at my email, walking back, and, and this came in my inbox. It was sent at 7.58. I was reading it at 8.15. Yesterday, this is speaking the truth in love. Yesterday, there was a nice comment, Gary Blankman. Yesterday, you said a couple things that diminished me. I need to talk to you about that. When do you have time? That's truth-telling in love. Now, at that point, it was on me to apply this and be an apology giver. So I called right away because I don't want any of our staff to feel diminished. I don't intentionally try to diminish people, but I'm human and broken and called right away and said, I am so sorry. I have no idea what I even said, but whatever we talk about, you just need to know I'm sorry. And then she let me know and I apologized for it. Peacemakers are quick to do that. Now, let me ask, before you push back, what do you think your relationships would be like if when you sinned or were made aware of sin, you didn't hide it, you didn't skirt the issue, but you quickly apologized when a truth teller brought sin to light? What would that look like in your relationship? I know there's some extenuating circumstances in here where there's some caveats even in this because the sin is great, but in general... What would the intimacy of parent-child or roommate-roommate or husband-wife be like if you were a quick apologizer? What do I do? How do I do that? I list on the bottom of page three, five A's to a godly apology. I think that will serve you well. It certainly has me. Uh, But let me just load up here because this is really important for all of us. Let me just give you four statements. This is in your notes to write down uh, on this. It's really important. Here's the first I am sorry. That displays ownership. You are owning your sin. I'm sorry. Here's the next one. I was wrong. That displays submission to truth. I was wrong. Here's the next one. I sinned against you. 
in this case with the pastor, I didn't mean to. I was actually trying. It was a backhanded compliment, uh, but it brought a lot of hurt. It sinned against you. Uh, that displays humility. And then here's the hardest one, but this turns the table and puts the power back on them off of you. You ready? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And depending on the degree of the transgression, um, you may have to put a caveat at the start. At, at some point, when you feel like you can come to the place of forgiveness, I just want you to know I'm open. Will you find it in your heart to come back and forgive me? But when you get to that point, it empowers the person who took the risk to come to you in the first place to hold what hurt before you. That pastor, when they emailed me, she, she didn't want anything between us. She loved our relationship and our unity enough to take a risk and say, something you said hurt me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. I sinned. Will you forgive me? Can you imagine being on the receiving end of that, how much healing would come into our lives if we heard that more often in our formative years? Then lastly, well, let me just say this. I need to say this. Um, and I'm going to be a little um, authoritative, humbly here. Never, never, never apologize with a caveat. Everything after but negates the apology. Everything after but negates the apology. I'm sorry I looked at something inappropriate and you caught me, but if you'd be meeting my needs, I wouldn't have to do that. That is disgusting. I'm sorry I exploded in anger, but if you weren't such an idiot, I wouldn't get triggered. That's not an apology. Everything after but negates the apology. Just say, I'm sorry. Just say, I'm sorry. Okay? Then, lastly, peacemakers forgive and let go. Peacemakers forgive and let go. Friends, this is not going to be difficult. This is going to be impossible. This is why we follow the Holy Spirit, right? We trust the Holy Spirit to do this in us, just like our Savior. Uh, look what it says, Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. Uh, what's that next line? If what? Any of you. I don't want you to raise your hands because I know some of the pain in this room. But do any of us have an excuse before God to say that doesn't count for me? The sin that came on me excuses me from this verse. If any of you has a grievance against someone, and I don't hold that over your head and dangle that like a carrot. I hold that for hope to say God would never ask you to do something through Christ, through following the Holy Spirit that you could do. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. I actually watched this week a, um, a woman being interviewed. She's an ambassador of forgiveness from Rwanda. Uh, when she was 12 years old during the genocide, she was in her family's outhouse, get this, for 60 days during the genocide. As a little 12-year-old girl, cowering in fear, hearing the screams of her parents as they were, I'll use code because we have small kids, but you know, as what, what took place in the genocide. She lost her neighbors, she lost her whole family, and for 60 days she was confined to an outhouse 
you know, four feet by four feet. And now she's an ambassador of forgiveness and has forgiven the people who did that. And they asked her, how in the world could you do this? She pointed to two things. She said, I know one day my Savior is coming back. And when Jesus returns, then and only then will true justice take place. The courts can't give justice. Even my holding on to this won't give justice. My bitterness won't give justice. Only God can. And I know when Jesus returns, I hope those people who did that would repent and see justice on the cross that Jesus took the payment for their sin. Or I know they'll spend eternity in hell. So I can take them, this is in essence what she said, I can take them off my hook and put them on God's hook. Because that's the only place true justice comes. She pointed to the imminent return of Jesus Christ as a source of strength that she can forgive. And then she said, secondly, the only reason I can forgive is I watched my Savior and read in the scriptures how he was being persecuted. And he wasn't macheted, but he was being beaten to a pulp. And his nails were being driven into his wrists. He cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And he's my example. If he can forgive him and me, I can forgive also. Forgiveness. Now, you might push back and go, okay, it's easy for you, Gary. You've had your little perfect pastor life, and everything happens for you great. You don't have much to forgive for. You don't know what I've been through, and you're right. I don't know what many of you have been through. I don't know what all of you have been through. Some of you, your spouse has betrayed you multiple times, and you say, wait, me forgive them? I'm not saying be reconciled to them. But I am saying, yes, that's what Scripture calls us to. Take them off your hook and put them on God's hook. Some of you are here and there's someone you trusted everything to. And they misused or abused that trust. And you're saying, wait, i got to forgive them? Some of you are here and someone who has called on to protect you did anything but protect you. I have to forgive them? See, you don't understand. Your lack of forgiveness is not hurting them. Some of us have to forgive someone who's dead. It's hurting you. God calls you to forgive because he wants you to be free and to be a peacemaker. Uh, this is so important. I've put an insert in your notes, and uh, I would ask that you just take this home and really hit the pause button and sit in this and learn some forgiveness truths. This is what forgiveness is, because I know in my life I would withhold forgiveness because I had a misconception of it. It seemed like I was letting go of the injustice. I was letting them get away with it. Nothing could be further from the truth. Again, remember, it's taking them off my hook and putting them on God's hook. Really important. Listen, I just want to say this in my closing time, and I want you to hear me, please, really closely. What we're talking about here, peacemaking, family's worth it. Family is so worth it. Whether it be a family in a home or the family of God. If we're Christ-centered as peacemakers, we don't write people off. We don't say forget you and walk out on a spouse or on our kids. We seek peace. We take the initiative. We seek accountability. We seek counseling. We seek the Lord. And we invite the Holy Spirit to intervene. We forgive as we've been forgiven. I've got five daughters. Most of them look like my wife, and that's a good thing. Some of them look like me. They both, all of them, personality or otherwise, resemble both of us. When you're functioning as a peacemaker, guess who we resemble? Blessed are the peacemakers. 
they will be called what? Children of God. And maybe someone sees that initiative and goes, wow, I wonder if your heavenly father's like that. Let's pray. I'm going to ask some questions as we pray. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads because I know the enemy and he would love to distract you right now. And so um, we're going to have some reflection in a minute, but I'm going to start it by asking some questions. First one is this. I'm going to pray for you. Do you want to, by the power of Christ, be a peacemaker? You've heard what that means now. And I'm not saying... uh, in your own strength. It's the power of Christ. But would you say before God, Lord, I'm willing, if you want to use me on this peninsula for your glory, for the good of people, I'm willing to be a peacemaker in your strength. I want to pray for you. Raise your hand if that's you. Use me as a peacemaker. You can lower your hands. I want to pray for you in a minute. This is really important. I want to be very sensitive. But if you're carrying a hurt, There's been a betrayal or a brokenness or a relationship that you're just holding on in bitterness. And you would just say, Gary, pray for me. Pray for our home. Peace needs to be made. And I have no idea even how to do that, but I'm willing to be willing. But there's pain and division. I want to pray for you. Would you raise your hand? Pray for you. I commend your courage. Father, I just lift up my sisters and brothers, hands raised, not to me, but to you, and my hands raised. We're willing for you to use us. If we're going to be a fortress for good, it's not going to happen in an hour on Sunday on this campus. It's going to happen uh, really Monday to Saturday and what we do off this campus. But whether peace needs to be made between people in the sanctuary or when we go home, would you use us as peacemakers? And then, Father, for those hands raised in courage where there's hurt, pain, betrayal, where healing needs to happen, I entrust my sisters and brothers to you, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. I entrust them to the Prince of Peace and ask that you would intervene, that truth tellers would come to bear, and that together, Lord, in community, we could be the peacemakers that you call us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You've been listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com. 